This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 860 of Horse Tip Daily. A different horse tip, a different equine topic, a different equestrian expert every day. Horse Tip Daily brings the world of equine knowledge to you one day at a time. Greetings, horse people. Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily. Today's tip is an excerpt from the Horse.com's weekly horse health report on the Horses in the Morning show. The Horse.com digital editor Michelle Anderson and Dr. Roos from the University of Florida talk about blister beetles, what they are, symptoms of exposure, and how to avoid them in the first place. And we'll get right to our tip after this informative nutritional minute from Kentucky Performance Products. Hi, Glenn the Geek here from the Horse Radio Network, and I'm here with Karen from Kentucky Performance Products. We're going to talk about omega fatty acids and equine nutrition. Called Contribute, that is a fish, it's a combination of fish oil and flax oil, and it provides a complete complement of omega-3s. It has an 8 to 1 ratio of omega-3s to omega-6s, and it contains the plant and marine sources of omega-3s. Now, there's been in the past, there's been some palatability issues with fish oil. I don't know if you've ever smelled some of the fish oils that are... Mm Lots of horses will run to the back of their stall and just stand there going, oh, my God, Mom, what did you put in my feed? (laughs) Some of the human pills are like that, too. (laughs) Yeah, you can really take So we did a lot of research with our product, and we got a fish oil that um, uh, just on its own smelled pretty good, and then we've added some flavor, some cherry flavor to it that has made it very palatable. So we have very few horses turning it down. And like anything, you have to introduce it slowly and should introduce it slowly anyway to the horse. But we have very few horses that will turn it down. Well, that's uh, that, that's terrific. It's good to learn. I never knew about the ratio between the threes and the sixes. And, of course, you can find out more information on Kentucky Performance Products' new website. It has a terrific, a terrific article on this, and we'll link to that in our show notes as well as on our Facebook page. And Or you could just go to kppusa.com to find out more about omega fatty acids and the Contribute product. Just look under Products. Introduce your guest, Michelle. Okay. Well, we have Dr. Sarah Roos with us, and she came on the show, I think, back in July, so so people might know her. She's from University of Florida. She is an internal uh, medicine specialist. Uh, welcome, Dr. Roos. Hello. How are you? I am good. So you're Excellent. here today to tell us a little bit about blister beetles and and. Glenn and I were just chatting about it, and Jamie, and kind of alluded to these little buggers. <laughs> but and the yeah. first thing I'm going to say before we start is, ew. Okay. <laughs> Nobody likes beetles. I made yeah, the mistake. No. I made the mistake of doing a Google search for blister beetles today, <laughs> and yeah. because I was like, ugly. I wasn't quite sure what they were, and then I saw the pictures of them under human skin, and that gross. That was it. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm done for the day. That's it for me. I'm going to yeah, be leaving the, now, so you guys have a great rest of the show. I'm going to go to my happy place. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Dr. Bruce, 
what are these gross little bugs that Glenn is talking about, and and why are we so worked up about them with our horses? Because obviously they sure. terrify me. Yes. No, they are definitely something to be scared of as a horse owner. Uh, so blister beetles are just a plant-feeding insect. You know, they're they're not designed to, to hurt things, but unfortunately they kind of do. Um, so, again, they're, in general, they're about an inch long. Um, they're a black base. Some of them can have some stripes on them. Some of them can have them spots on them. Um, or they can, again, just be plain black. And, again, they're about an inch long. They have kind of a little bit of a neck and then a big head. Um, the the ones that have stripes are actually the worst ones of all of them. And, and the reason that they're bad and, and why they're a concern for horses and horse owners is that they contain a toxin in them that's called cantharidin, is the, the name of the actual toxin that is inside these blister beetles. And so how do horses get exposed to to blister beetles. Yeah, so they, they're exposed to them when they eat them. Um, and, and so they'll eat them in hay in general is, is most often how horses are exposed to them. So, you know, the, the beetle itself just landing on a horse, not a problem. Um, the problem is when they ingest them. Okay. And so you said an inch long. That's not very big. How many of these does it take to make a horse sick? Yeah, so only a couple of beetles can actually result in clinical signs. So, you know, a horse may become sick after only eating sometimes four to six of the beetles. Different species of blister beetles have varying amounts of the actual toxin or the cantharidin in them. So some of them are, are more potent than others. You know, the ones that have a lot of toxin in them, you know, a, a horse can die after eating, you know, only 50 beetles. Some of the species of beetles that maybe concentrate a little bit less toxin in them, you know, they might have to eat a couple hundred. Obviously, it also depends on the size of the horse. You know, if you have a miniature horse, a pony, a foal that eats them, it, it doesn't take nearly as many for them to get into trouble as, you know, if it's a big draft horse. Um, but, but unfortunately, they are potent enough that only a couple of beetles can actually make a horse pretty darn sick. Well, that's, and that can that can start the disease. Um, it, it's used medically to remove warts. That's how nasty mm-hmm. that stuff is. Yep, exactly. It's, it's used to actually make things slough, and, and that's what it unfortunately does to horses. Is it's such a potent oh. irritant? Yeah, and you know it's amazing that horses are so big that they are so sensitive. They are. They are really of all of our species. They are incredibly sensitive to them. So, uh, you just, sorry, Michelle, I I just was curious as to, you mentioned clinical signs. What are some of the clinical signs? Sure. That's a great question. So, you know, again, it depends a little bit on how many they've been exposed to and at what time point you see the horse, you know, if if they ate them in the morning and you don't come home from work till later. Um, But some of the first signs you're going to see are just depression and the horse doesn't want to eat. You know, so kind of just standing around with its head down and and no interest in food. it will progress then through various stages. Um, you will generally almost always see signs of colic. And so, again, what the, the actual toxin itself does and, and why they would use it to remove warts in humans is, is again, it just causes um, a lot of irritation and, and sloughing of mucosa or of skin layers. And so, obviously, as that moves through the GI tract, it's going to cause ulceration to the stomach, to the colon. Um, that is quite painful. So horses can be profoundly colicky. Um, it also, when it first contacts the mouth, is going to cause ulceration in the mouth as well. And so some of these horses, you know, if you flip their lip up and, and look at their gums, you may actually even see some irritation or some ulcers um, along their gums and along their teeth and along their tongue. Some horses, what you'll actually see is you'll just notice that the horse is just repeatedly dipping its mouth in water. You know, you, you, at first you kind of think, oh, he's just playing in his water bucket, but they are pathologically playing in their water bucket. You know, you try and get their head out of the water and it's kind of like, you know, you, if you eat the hottest pepper you can imagine, you just want to dunk your whole head in something. That's a little bit how they feel is 
is that they just have all this this irritation in their mouth. Um, and then, like I said, as that moves through their GI tract, they're going to show more and more signs of colic. The, um, as it does that, they can obviously also have diarrhea because it's going to cause irritation to their colon. The uh, toxin itself is then going to be excreted through the kidneys. Um, so as it as the toxin then moves through and, and gets into their urinary tract as well, they're going to show signs as far as frequent urination. So they're going to be stretching out, urinating lots of small, frequent amounts. You know, they may grunt and groan while they're doing it and show some signs of discomfort while they're urinating um, because that's also going to cause some, some degree of pain. Um, it also, one of the, the kind of strange things that blister beetles do that we can't quite explain, you know, really everything I've said so far is, okay, again, they cause irritation. Um, but one of the things that blister beetles uh, do that we, we don't have a great explanation for is they're going to cause the horse's blood calcium levels to go really, really low. Um, and it's kind of one of the ways that, honestly, we can almost diagnose it is, is when we see these horses and we take blood and their calcium is really, really low, there's not a lot of other explanations for it to go as low as it does with blister beetles. But one of the kind of weird signs that happen when the horse's calcium is that low is something that's called thumps um, or synchronous diaphragmatic flutter. Essentially, it looks like your horse is having the hiccups. Um, and, and so sometimes that's the first thing that somebody notices is, you know, they see the horse standing there, maybe he's a little bit depressed, but then they're like, huh, geez, I've never seen a horse have the hiccups before. Um, and, and that is almost classic for blister beetle because, again, it's related to that really, really low calcium level. Um, and then as the degrees, disease progresses, again, you'll see the colic. They can't certainly can founder, you know, the kind of end stage of, of so many horse diseases is certainly going to be laminitis. Um, and sometimes if, if the horse is unobserved for a period of time, unfortunately, you may just actually find it dead. So horses don't go around hoovering these up on purpose. So how Fortunately, do they, no. <laughs> yeah. So how do they get exposed to blister beetles? To yeah, them? so they're... Yeah, so they're going to get them when they eat primarily alfalfa. Um, you know, it's most commonly we're going to see it with, with any horse that's eating alfalfa. There are reports of horses having been exposed eating, you know, alfalfa pellets, you know, where they've, it's already been ground up. There's anecdotal reports of it in other hay, but that's never actually been confirmed. So really we're... Our, our radar is going to be raised for a horse that has any of those clinical signs that we know also eats alfalfa. Um, yeah. You know, the, the beetles themselves are not especially tasty, so it's not that the horse is, you know, sifting through the alfalfa and actually trying to, to eat the beetle. It's just that the, the beetles have actually been baled into the hay itself, and, and so the horse is, you know, indiscriminately exposed when it eats the hay. Yeah. Is, this so these are, is this a Western thing, well, the, that, you know, or, or a whole country? It, yeah, so the the beetles themselves, we see kind of the central area of the country and the southern area of the country. Um, there is some spread of that with climate change. Again, the, the striped beetles, which are the ones that really have the highest concentration of cantharidin, we generally think of those um, being most prolific in alfalfa that comes from Oklahoma, Kansas, North Texas, even some areas of New Mexico, um, are kind of known as being the, the worst blister beetle areas, but you can still see it in alfalfa from other areas of the country. Um, the further north you get, the less likely you are to have a problem. Yeah, and with hay being shipped to different places. Exactly. A lot of times you don't actually know. Yeah, you may not know where your hay came from. You know, it's, it's always a good question to ask your, your hay distributor, and, and hopefully they honestly do know. Um, but sometimes it's, it's really hard to say. Yeah. So, so these little guys obviously like alfalfa and live in alfalfa. Yep, they do. And so, again, that's, that is their hay of choice. The beetles themselves, again, because they're 
plant feeding, so they're attracted to, to hay when it's blooming. Um, and so often they're really congregated in certain areas of the hay pasture, um, wherever it's blooming at the time. And they're not the greatest of flying beetles, so they're often along the outside perimeter of a hay field um, because they just can't fly all the way in, into the middle of it. Um, but they're definitely attracted to bloom. And so that is one thing that whether you bale your own hay or if, if you can ask somebody, you know, when they're cutting hay, is, you know, if, if it's cut right before it blooms, you're less likely to have blister beetles um, just because they won't have been attracted to that bloom yet. Now, if they're baled in the hay, are they likely dead then when your horse eats them? Yes, they're usually dead when the horse eats them, and, and that is another risk factor for blister beetles in hay is, is hay that is crimped um, because occasionally what can happen is you cut the hay, there may be blister beetles in it, and if you just cut it and you leave it out to dry, the beetles may still be alive and be able to fly away and go find something that they would rather eat. If the hay is produced in a manner such that, you know, the, the stems are actually crimped at the time of cutting, then the beetles are going to get crushed. Then they can't get away even if they wanted to, um, and then they will definitely be in the hay. Um, you know, and, and once they're dead, the toxin is still there. Um, and, and so that's often how they're exposed is, is to actual dead beetles in the hay. And again, the way that they swarm you know, you might have just one bale of hay from a field that has hundreds of them in it, um, or sometimes even just one flake in a bale of hay that has multiple beetles in it, that if you even look at the rest of the hay, there may not be anything in there. Um, and so that's one of the things where, you know, in an ideal world, it would be nice to say to your hay producer, well, you know, just check everything before you bale it. Um, but that's just not efficient um, because of the way these guys work. Yeah. Okay, I was so yeah. Be like, so, dude, did you look for blister beetles? No? Well, go check. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's a good idea to do. Yeah, as, as the horse owner, you know, kind of take that more upon yourself. You know, if, if you're feeding alfalfa, and especially if, if you know maybe that your alfalfa came from the Midwest, or even if you don't know, it's it's not a bad idea to do. Just each time you put out a flake of hay, kind of just sift through it and, and take a look and see if you see any beetles. Because, again, they're, they're an inch long. You know, they're a good size beetle. It's not like you're looking for a, a total needle in a haystack. Um, so you certainly can look as you're feeding, and, and that's where, again, we recommend, you know, feed flakes of alfalfa. Don't just feed big square bales that you put out and you have no idea what's in the center of the bale. No. Well, um, doing my job, I get exposed to a lot of horse diseases and problems, and so I'm already looking for <laughs> things that could indicate botulism in my hay. So, yep. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. I, I mean, whether it's blisters... Yeah, whether it's blister beetles or other things, it's not a bad idea to, to kind of look at your hay as you're feeding it, even just for mold and exactly everything else. It's not not bad to kind of just shake the flakes out as you're putting them in front of your horse just to see if you see anything. Yeah. Um, so once you see these clinical signs that you've already mentioned, uh, how long do you have to get the horse to the vet and get treatment, and what are the treatment options? Yeah, so you certainly, as soon as you see these signs, and again, especially if you know that you feed alfalfa and, and maybe even just got a new, you know, bale of hay, or you see the signs and you look in a bale of hay and you say, oh, oh geez, I see beetles, you, know, you definitely want to call your vet immediately. You know, the, the sooner that you can get veterinary care, the better. Um, there's no specific antidote. So it's not like if we have that, you know, the, the appropriate signs, we see beetles, that there's some drug that we can give the horse that's 
that's going to reverse all of the signs. So unfortunately, there's nothing specific, but there is certainly some evidence that if we can get a stomach tube in the horse and give it some mineral oil and charcoal, we may at least prevent absorption of more toxin. You know, so if there still are some beetles in their stomach that maybe haven't been fully digested and moved through yet, we may be able to prevent further uptake of toxin by by getting a tube into them and, and getting some mineral oil and charcoal in them. Um, unfortunately, a lot of times by the time we see clinical signs, and again, recognizing, you know, people work during the day and they may, you know, come home and, and find horses in trouble, you know, we'll certainly still do that, but then the bulk of it is just supportive care. And, and so these horses certainly need some IV fluids because, um, again, they're going to be colicky. They may have diarrhea. They're going to have some, some urinary tract issues. Um, so they definitely need some pretty aggressive supportive care with fluids and, and adding a lot of calcium to their fluids because, like I said, that's one of the things that we don't know why it happens, but their calcium gets really, really low. And um, so that's something that we need to give them. And then also just pain relief because, um, again, you know, as, as these ulcer-causing little buggers go through them, they're, they're quite painful. Um, and, and so a lot of these horses we need to get fairly aggressive with pain relief. Okay. Well, thank you, Dr. Ruth. Um, now everyone sure. be scared about blister beetles. <laughs> <laughs> they I, they are something to be scared of, but you know, again, if if you have a reliable hay producer that you know you feel pretty comfortable with, that you know they know where their hay comes from, obviously that's going to help. Again, you know, not to say you shouldn't buy hay from Oklahoma and those states, but again, it is a slightly higher risk there. First cutting hay is also less likely to have beetles. Um, so if you're getting first cutting alfalfa, you can sleep a little bit easier. Um, and then, like I said, you know, the, the hay well, that doesn't then, have a lot of on. bloom in it is less likely. Mm-hmm. Then you worry about laminitis in the first cutting. And the, exactly. I mean, everything is It's terrifying. a trade-off. <laughs> yep, it's a trade-off. Yeah, pick your poison Welcome a little bit. Parent. Welcome to the Paranoia Radio Show. Here are the in the book. <laughs> but no, the big thing is, is just look at your hay as you're feeding it. And, you know, if you see any beetles, discard that entire bale. You know, don't say, okay, well, I only see beetles in this flake, so I can feed the other flakes. You know, it's, it's definitely a situation of and better safe than sorry. And let, let your supplier know that yes, you've got beetles in it. So, uh, yep. so that, well, thank you, Dr. Bruce, for joining us and, sure. and para, para, giving us all paranoia and nightmares. And Michelle, I do what as I can. always, <laughs> yes, thank you very much. Where can people find you, uh, Dr. Bruce, if they want to get a hold of you? Uh, I'm at University of Florida. So if they look at the University of Florida Vet School site, they will easily find me. All right, fantastic. University of Florida, enjoy that nice weather you guys are going to have for the next six months. And, thank you. Uh, we will. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. You can find Michelle at thehorse.com. Thank you for bringing us our weekly horse health report, and we'll talk to you again next week. Okay. Bye, Jamie. Everybody Bye. Bye. Bye, Glenn. Like I don't have enough beetles in Florida. Every place we go, there's beetles everywhere. Ugh. Well, of course, the one, my, my very favorite horse, Edward, is the only one that eats alfalfa. So I now I'm going to have to pour <laughs> through every flake of alfalfa. Even though it's grown like a mile down the road in Arizona, I still am going to have to look for beetles. You know what I, I was reading? I was reading a little bit about them while they were talking, and wh- one of the things I found amazing, usually when you have something that has uh, toxins like this, after they're dead and been dead for, you know, a couple weeks until it ends up in your barn, it's... It's null and void. It's going away. That's not the case here. You know, what, apparently when they get crushed in your hay and then the toxins get on the hay, it just stays. It's like, oh. <laughs> Great. Never going to sleep. I'm doing a Google image for what you blister beetles look like in your hay. 
Uh, just so you, oh my God, don't Google blister beetles. Ah! I know some of them have, they're, some of them are almost pretty. They have little yellow spots on them. <laughs> what was not pretty was the images of blister beetles under the skin of humans that I just saw. Don't yes. do it. Don't do it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I got into a, like, it's not bad enough that we have fire ants. I got into a little bit of a fire ant nest the other day. Didn't realize it. And did not have socks on, uh, and they got my, several of them got to my ankles, and I, my ankles now look like a war zone. There is nothing worse than fire ants, except for maybe blister beetles. Now we have something else that could be worse. Yeah, now you can be paranoid about way more things. Well, I, it's good information to have. I wouldn't have even known to look for it. So, uh. and there you go. To listen to more tips from the horse.com, just go to horsetipdaily.com and look for the experts drop-down menu on the left. If you love listening to the Horses in the Morning gang putting in their two cents on horse health topics, along with fascinating interviews from around the equestrian world, tune in every weekday at horsesinthemorning.com. And you can have all of the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go with our new free app for iPhone and Android. Just go to your app store and search for Horse Radio Network. And don't forget to support our sponsors here on Horse Tip Daily because they make these podcasts possible. This podcast has been brought to you through the generous support of Kentucky Performance Products. Visit them online at kppusa.com. The Horse Radio Network and the Horse Radio Network hosts are not responsible for statements of guests or their opinions. Use your own judgment when listening to the tips provided by the experts on Horse Tip Daily.